And now a reading from the Gospel according to Mark. This from the fourth chapter, verse 26 through verse 34 from the Common English Bible. Then Jesus said, This is what God's kingdom is like. It's as though someone scatters seed on the ground and then sleeps and wakes night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, but the farmer doesn't know how. The earth produces crops all by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the full head of grain. Whenever the crop is ready, the farmer goes out to cut the grain because it's harvest time. He continued, what's a good image for God's kingdom? What parable can I use to explain it? Consider a mustard seed. When scattered on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, but when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all the vegetable plants. It produces such large branches that the birds in the air are able to nest in its shade. With many such parables, he continued to give them the word as much as they were able to hear. He spoke to them only in parables, then explained everything to his disciples when he was alone with them. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. One of the outcomes of the pandemic is that many more of us are digging in the dirt these days and growing things or trying to grow things than have probably ever tried to grow things before. We may have started with house plants and then graduated to outdoors where we're growing all sorts of vegetables and flowers and herbs. I know some of you people, you do it well. This newfound interest in gardening seems to be happening whether we have a half acre or a large lot or a just a corner of the yard with a few pots and containers, or maybe indoors even, if that's all the place we have on our windowsills. I found out this past week in preparation for today that the Burpee Seed Company, apparently that's the biggest, I like the name, sold more seeds in March of last year, beginning of the pandemic, than it had sold in any other time in its 144-year history. Think about that. Monty Don's Gardening Show has been a British television show for 54 years, once considered comfort TV. It's recently transitioned. I've heard it called indispensable viewing, if you've ever seen that. How a British Show Got People Through the Pandemic was the title of an article written about it in the New York Times of March of this year. If you do an internet search of pandemic gardening, you will find page after page describing this resurgence of interest in gardening and working with the land. You will find seed sources. You'll find plant sources, gardening tips, articles extolling the physical and psychological benefits. During our current times of pandemic, personally, I've received fewer selfies from friends this past year and more pictures of their blooming plants. Some of you that are friends with me on Facebook have had to put up with a few of my pictures of my pitiful plants, because in the first time in 47 trips around the sun, I started trying to grow a few things myself outside this year. And this newfound interest in gardening provides an interesting backdrop for today's gospel lesson. 
And of course, so does the pandemic. Somehow these seed parables Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of God seem more real after my own hands have been in the dirt just a little bit, uh, digging around, and I've observed firsthand how Mother Nature operates. The gardener in the first parable who doesn't seem to know how plants grow becomes more sympathetic. If we've ever been the ones out in the yard moving, or we become more sympathetic to them, rather. If we've been the ones out moving a yard around trying to find a, a plant in the yard, where, a place where it'll bloom, and we, after we've moved it about three or four times and been unsuccessful, we get a little more sympathetic, I think, with that parable. The second parable elicits a knowing nod from anyone whose garden has ever been overtaken by something like, I don't know, an ambitious, greedy mint plant. That may sound foreign to some of you. It would have been to me until this year. Now, before expecting an airtight explanation of these parables, remember that parables aren't intended to work that way. To paraphrase C.H. Dodd, parables are similes or metaphors from nature that grab our attention because of their vividness or strangeness. So we're not quite sure what to make of these, but they tease our minds if we let them, and they make us think. And today's parable that comes from Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells us that both of these parables about seeds reveal to us something about the realm of God, the kingdom of God, the beloved community, as I like to say, and many have before me. In both of these parables, we are given imagery of this kingdom of God. And in both of them, we are given imagery of the kingdom of God starting as something tiny, almost imperceptible, and growing in mysterious and magnificent ways to something truly significant. At its most obvious level, we see that the kingdom of God is not intended to remain small or isolated, but intended instead to grow and to spread maybe beyond what we're able to comprehend. The word, or the good news, is here that God's all-encompassing love for us cannot be contained and will spread through the simplest of movements because of its potency. So our first parable, known as, by some as the secret seed parable, is actually only found in the gospel according to Mark, interestingly enough. And it's an odd little gem, and we might be tempted, as I have before, to skip right over that one and head to the more well-known parable of the mustard seed but we would be missing out on some really life-giving insights. So this first parable, someone scatters the seed on the ground and then goes on about their way day in, day out, day in, day out, seemingly with no further efforts to nurture those seeds along. And in due course, the seeds sprout and they grow, but we are told the one who planted them doesn't have a clue how it happened when they decided to grow. The crop, which we see as some type of grain, continues to grow and ripen. The man returns with his sickle because the harvest has come and it's time. Now, this is a parable of, I guess you could call it, orientation. Or perhaps reorientation from our normal ways of moving through the world and possibly even through our lives of faith. So we see in the parable that God is exactly how we don't know, but somehow in charge and that we are not, and that maybe, maybe God's ways are not our ways and we don't know what's planned. That's a pretty conventional way of looking at that that many people have done over the centuries. And so they, they, that crop growth in the parable is God's doing and not ours. Well, part of me wants a better explanation than that. But another part of me realizes that there sometimes are things that happen 
that despite my past efforts, I really don't understand. And we can call that whatever you want. I, I, I leave it at God when there's more than meets the eye, and I can't understand it. But we're really not sure how the small thing that we did, maybe, to put ourselves into that parable, would have contributed to all the growth. So while I don't think the poor sower of the seeds was probably as clueless as this rather hyperbolic story makes them seem, the bigger point seems to be that there are some things that can never fully be explained or understood because something either happens that's out of our frame of reference, out of our ability to see, out of our ability to explain, out of our ability to fully comprehend. And as I said, for me, I'm okay with calling this mystery God or the realm, the reign, the kingdom, or the beloved community of God. It's mysterious and even frustrating for me sometimes to try to explain some of the things that are so mysterious. So for someone who thinks that they always have to be in charge of the planning or the execution and the outcomes, this parable can take some getting used to. I'm one of them. It is humbling because many of us like the knowledge that we've accumulated over the years and the control we think we have (laughs) over our lives and all of the details and everything else. And yet this parable reminds us that we, we don't know everything, that we don't understand how everything operates, even if we think we do some of the time. If we have garden, for example, as of late, like I have, (laughs) humility is a lesson we've probably learned in the garden as well. All of my plants started off so green, and I planted them as early as I could after the first frost, and they started out, it was that time, it was so mild there uh, up until just recently, and they grew, and I, I thought, man, this isn't that hard. And my ego, just ask my family, it soared. It soared. I was almost unbearable to live with. Walked to my plants two or three times a day and asked them to do the same. I'd be hurt when they didn't brag on me a little. It was pathetic. But now that things are still growing, and we've gotten a little deeper into the season, there's some leaves withering. They're not all as green as they were when it started. There's a few of them wilting. Even a few, it's embarrassing to say that have died. And I'm wondering how to offer the best care to manage and ensure their continued growth and health. It's very much bringing me back down to earth. Let's just leave it at that. So once we readjust, when we get in that situation in real life outside the garden, for some of us, we dial back our thinking and come back to reality, this can actually become a freeing and liberating parable in our lives and in the ways we view ourselves and the world, for that matter. We're not in charge of the overall success of the universe, believe it or not. You can take that off your job description. That was a freeing day when a good, a well-intentioned church member helped me understand that very clearly several years ago. In fact, we're in charge of very few outcomes if you really want to know the truth in this world. We don't actually have to do it all. We don't actually have a clue, in fact, if we're being honest, how many important things come to pass. (laughs) I don't, anyway. Instead, we try to remind ourselves we can't do a lot of things, but what we can do is we can show up 
What we can do is we can be faithful. What we can do is we can be the best version of ourselves every time we have the opportunity. We don't always get it right. If we don't get it right today, we have the opportunity tomorrow, hopefully, to start again. And then we move on from there, and we have to, at some point, trust that others, yes, those dreaded others, will do their part, even as we do our part. And that somehow, in the mystery of that mixture of our part, and their part, and everybody else's part, hopefully we'll stumble onto God, even if we don't recognize God. That, for me, and I dare say for many of us, is the hardest part, this whole trusting that others will do their part thing. Because, quite honestly, looking around during the pandemic and still relying on people to do their part for the greater good, who believe that the folks who stormed the U.S. Capitol on June 6 were patriots, and that everyone's opinions about any number of wild-haired conspiracy theories and other hogwash like those per you know, perpetrated by QAnon, well, all that wild stuff should be treated equally as valid, dis dem uh, demonstrable, scientifically variable, uh, verifiable facts. It's asking a lot for me to trust that those folks will do their part because I'm not sure what radio station they're tuned into in life, but it's not the one I listen to. We've tried to follow the science in this congregation and in our community. We've, we've gotten our vaccinations because we realize that, you know, if we carry a cell phone, Bill Gates doesn't actually need to insert a microchip into our bodies. We willingly tote one around. We've inconvenienced ourselves for over a year and not met in person until last week while so many lived in denial, recklessly putting themselves and others in harm's way or or maybe over this season of life, we've also decided that we would take a stand. Maybe, maybe we've never quite been stirred up enough until the death, no, the murder of George Floyd to really confront that racist uncle. Everyone has one of those, don't we? Or that racist coworker or that inner racist we discovered and decided needed changing. Yet nearly every day, despite our highest hopes for the world, for ourselves, there's another shooting, there's another bombing, there's another senseless killing, and, and yet we're supposed to trust, right? I mean, that's what you're saying, preacher. We're supposed to trust that other people will do their, their part. Come on. I know it's asking a lot a lot of us, to let go of trying to force the outcomes to go the way we think they ought to go and trust that others will do their part and that somehow good will prevail. That's a lot for me. Here's another thing, though. Someday we may see a positive outcome from our efforts, not just in the pandemic, but in the world at large, but also we may not. We may not ever see the positive outcome we hope to see. We have to get that through our thick heads. I have to get that through my thick heads, and you'd think it was easier without all this hair that some preachers have on their heads. We have to get used to the idea that we do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because we may ever see it resolved. Remember Moses? 
He didn't make it to the promised land. We are never responsible for the outcomes, friends, but we are responsible for what happens on our watch. We are responsible for our leg of the journey. Remember, that's part of doing our part. It's tough. That's the part I'll never fully understand. That's the mystery, if you will. That's the scary part. That's the part, I guess, where true faithfulness is challenging. And yet that's also the tremendously and powerfully beautiful part because it's proof when it does come out the way, in favor of justice, in favor of goodness, in favor of wholeness, in favor of healing. It's proof that there really is more going on than what meets the eye. Just beneath the soil surface, the surface of all that is happening, new life is getting ready to spring up where we least expect it. Miracles await the watchful, but the watchful, remember, do not cause the growth. Some of us plant seeds. Others water. Still others bring in the harvest, whatever shape or form that takes, depending on the situation, that was carefully tended and cared for, still probably by someone else on some other watch, some other part of the journey. Now we are reoriented to what our job is and what it isn't. Let's, let's play this parable out just a little bit further and, and go on that adventure of planting new seeds and planting new crops for the kingdom of God. I wonder what that looks like. How do we proceed if we go on to the next parable? Well, first... We have to have something new to plant. Not just something new, we have to have something to plant, but I say something new, and, and that's an absolutely obvious statement. But shouldn't we think about what we are planting when we have the opportunity? What exactly are we planting? What do we say about our faith with the way we live? What do we say about what we believe by the way that we live out our lives? Not in some big fanciful moment, but in the day-in, day-out activity with people that may never see us in action on a stage, but they might see us loud and clear across the dinner table or across the church board meeting table or across the sanctuary or across town or across the desk at work. Do the things we say about our faith, are they really constructed and created in our own image to appeal to people just like us, to, to speak to people just like us, or is it truly about loving every single other when we don't like the other? We want to be careful about the seeds we're planting at the very least, and next, we have to get those seeds out of the packet. I didn't know about packets and seeds very much till this last year, but it occurred to me, again, this is obvious, but how many gardens will ever grow because, will never grow because well-intentioned people never got the seeds out of the packet and put them in the dirt. Our intentions to plant may be good. We may have this brilliant design in mind for a layered, tiered garden. We may have the best seeds on the market, yet nothing will grow amazingly if those seeds stay in the packet inside the kitchen drawer. We also have to know where we are planting the seeds. Are we planting in the same old plot year after year, expecting a different outcome? I believe Einstein called that the definition of insanity, didn't he? Or are we taking our seeds to try new, unexplored plots of land that maybe we've never tried before? You know, like our congregation, many of us have picked up the new seeds of new technologies in our churches, 
because of the pandemic that will allow us to plant new gardens all the time and spread our radical idea that God loves everybody and does so equally, and we all should too, to people that have never been in this building and maybe don't live in Oklahoma. Imagine that. Are we ready to keep moving beyond our comfort zones? And where will we plant next? And what will, be, what will being faithful look like in our own world and in our own lives this next leg of the journey? We're also reminded that we have to scatter the seeds in an extravagant fashion if we read the parable and the things that are in plain sight in this parable. In other words, we don't hoard seeds. We don't make one tiny little hill of seeds and save all the rest for the next time. But we scatter, we spread, we broadcast the seeds far and wide. Will we be generous with those seeds to do our part in expanding the realm of God that we call the beloved community or the kingdom of God? See, and once we shift into planting mode, we, we see the task ahead as a real adventure and not just a never-ending chore. We, we also know from this familiar mustard seed parable that from small things, from small seeds, God makes mighty things grow. In her commentary on the parables, Alice McKenzie sums it up this way. She said, The good news is that when we relinquish preoccupation with control in order to participate in the kingdom of God, our participation yields a harvest that is all out of proportion to the scope of our efforts. Now, I'm not a word of faith preacher. Don't hear me saying that. But there is something holy when people share a vision. Not a vision that is self-oriented, but a vision for peace through justice in the way of Jesus for us. There's something holy. We find God there. We thought it was just about wearing a mask during the pandemic. That was a small sacrifice, we thought. We, we, we thought it was just about practicing social distancing. But you know what? We were actually wrong. We thought those things in and of themselves were the sacrifices. But it was actually about something much bigger. It's about compassion. It's about justice. We thought it was about the singular conversation where we spoke up after hearing that coworker or family member say something racist, but it was always about something bigger than that single act. And it will always be about something bigger. We, though, we notice the small things, and we say to ourselves, what difference does that really make? But we can't quite see it all, and we can't quite fully understand it all, and I think Jesus was trying to say in these parables, and the author according in this, in this gospel was trying to teach us through these parables, that these small things are not quite as isolated as they seem at first. There's much deeper connection. These small sacrifices actually grow great love. They actually sow the seeds for tremendous opportunities for justice. The pandemic made it even more obvious. I never tire of this quote from Bishop Desmond Tutu. I think he knew a little something about what we're talking about when he said, do your little bits of good where you are. It's those little bits of good that overwhelm the world. May our small sacrifices work together along with those of surprising partners and co-laborers to overwhelm the world with great love, my friends. In the name of the one who takes our faithful but relatively tiny contributions like seeds and weaves them together into a worldwide harvest of justice and goodness while we're sleeping, we pray. Amen.